This is the Living Vertizano podcast, brought to you by The Church at Riverstone, a fellowship of the Church of the Nazarene in Madeira, California. Our episode today moves into Malachi 2, 1 through 9, where Malachi issues a warning to the priests. Together, we will be discussing our responsibility to be conduits of life and peace. Hi, everybody. I'm Nick. I'm Natasha. I'm Brittany. And we are the Living Vertizontal Podcast. And I'm sure you noticed there was one less and I'm uh, on the podcast today. Um, Unfortunately, Derek is not able to join us for this episode, but we do expect to have him back next time. Um, And so with that, uh, today was his day to read. I will be reading, but before we get to that place... Um, I just want to remind us of where we were last week. Uh, Last week, we began our work in Malachi looking at the first chapter. So it was verses, it was 14 verses, verses 1 to 14, all of chapter 1. And in this, uh, God challenged Israel's love for him and he called out their inadequate sacrifices. Um, As a result of like that conversation, we. Uh, as a group, discussed the importance of offering God our very best. And this week, we are going to move on into chapter 2 of Malachi, looking specifically at verses 1 through 9. And in this passage, we're going to be looking at Malachi issuing this warning to the priests. And uh, we'll dive into that. And instead of giving any more of a intro to it. I'm just going to go ahead and read that for us. Um, so we have Malachi chapter 2, verse 1 through 9. And now, you priests, this warning is for you. If you do not listen, and if you do not resolve to honor my name, says the Lord Almighty, I will send a curse on you, and I will curse your blessings Yes, I have already cursed them, because you have not resolved to honor me. Because of you, I will rebuke your descendants. I will smear on your faces the dung from your festival sacrifices, and you will be carried off with it. And you will know that I have sent you this warning, so that my covenant with Levi may continue, says the Lord Almighty. My covenant was with him a covenant of life and peace, and I gave them to him. This called for reverence, and he revered me and stood in awe of my name. True instruction was in his mouth, and nothing false was found on his lips. He walked with me in peace and uprightness and turned many from sin. For the lips of a priest ought to preserve knowledge because he is the messenger of the Lord Almighty, and people seek instruction from his mouth. But you have turned from the way, and by your teaching have caused many to stumble. You have violated the covenant with Levi, says the Lord Almighty. So I have caused you to be despised and humiliated before all the people, because you have not followed my ways, but have shown partiality in matters of the law. All right, so this is the the passage that we are working with today. Um, so 
I guess the question is, what are we seeing? What's standing out to us? What observations do we have? Um, where are we going? So I think one of the first things that jumps out to me is this is addressed to priests. And well, most of our listeners are not priests. They don't consider them to be a part of the clergy um, category or classification. Sure. And so uh, it would be easy to just kind of dismiss this and write this off. Um, however, uh, I just, as kind of I was studying and, and thinking about and contemplating this this reality and, and its relevance and who this is applicable to, I think it's important for us to remember that following Christ's death, resurrection, and the tearing of the veil, and now God's direct communication to us um, as his as his followers, as disciples of Christ, um, we now ha- have kind of become this mouthpiece for God. Um, and so we we are this priesthood of believers. And so before we get too far into this, assuming, well, this is talking about the pastors um, exclusively, I think it's important for us to recognize that, no, 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 this is talking about anybody who can hear from the Holy Spirit, right? And so that's really anyone, um, and particularly Christians, because we say that we're listening for the Holy Spirit and we're we're acting in obedience to the Holy Spirit. And so... Um, I wanted to include that as we move into this conversation. Yeah, I think that's uh, that's fair and, and important for us to bring up. And so now with this like present day context understanding saying, okay, so this applies to us, I think the next step or next question that we might come to is, okay, so like who are who are the priests then? So we can better understand if I'm identified as a priest today, like what does it mean for me? What does this look like for me? What what are my responsibilities? Um, and so who were the priests then? And, and what was um, this covenant with Levi? I know as I was working through this passage, that was like the immediate thing that that came to me was, well, what is the covenant with Levi? And and why does that matter? And, and what does it mean to be a priest? Um, and so there's a lot to to go into that question, I'm going to try to um, maybe focus it and narrow it down a little bit in working through it. Um, but first, this idea of the Levites and who they were and what what does it mean for them to to participate in this priestly um, responsibility? I, I well, maybe I need even need to take a step back from where I was initially. At the calling, uh, identification of who people were, there was this separation that existed between priests and Levites. And so, um, if you go on in the early Old Testament, you would see this differentiation existing. However, in a in the post-exilic uh, time period, which is where we find ourselves here in Malachi. Um, scholars make this observation and this statement that the division that existed between priest and Levite began to disappear, and the Levites actually start to perform many of the priestly duties that would have initially been set apart for the priest only, because there was this differentiation that existed. And so that is going away. So now, as we talk about Levite in this passage, 
we are talking about priest. As we talk about priest, we're including Levites. Like that, that's kind of a, a synonymous one-to-one exchange that exists here. Further, um, as we understand what it means to be uh, a a Levite, um, in at the beginning of Numbers, I believe it's Numbers chapter three. Um, we have this understanding of what it means to be a Levite. And I'm going to go turn to that really fast because I want to uh, read it instead of just trying to give the Nicholas Gebhardt version, message version. Um, but, sorry, that's chapter 4. So chapter 3, uh, verse 11, it says, The Lord also said to Moses, I have taken the Levites from among the Israelites in place of the first male offspring of every Israelite woman. The Levites are mine, for all the firstborn are mine. So this idea of the, the Levites are set apart specifically for God in place of the the firstborn of every person in in Israel. And so there is this element of they are the offering, but they are the representative firstborn of everyone. And being a firstborn in a family in this time period carried a lot of weight with it. Like as a firstborn, you are responsible for carrying on the family name, carrying on the family business and and uh representing your family well. And so if we think about that in the context of what a priest was, right? They were not representing their earthly family, but they were charged with representing their heavenly family well. And so as a priest, you have this responsibility to represent God to the world around you. So that's one level of this conversation. The other level of this conversation, um, and this is also found in Numbers, but you see throughout this passage this this, uh, emphasis on how uh, the Levites had this zeal or there was this resolve or there was this like special like fervor that they had towards God. And as a result of that, God responded with this covenant with the Levites. Um, and that specifically is talking about another p- part in Numbers a little bit later, but I think it's like Numbers chapter 25, where Moab has seduced Israel, um, and the men of Israel are beginning to take wives from the surrounding countries, mainly Moab in this conversation, and they are bringing them into the camp, and that is resulting in a defilement of the Israelite camp, not because the, the there's something wrong with the women, but because the influence of them and their gods that they were serving begin to find their ways into the life of the Israelite men, and they begin turning to other gods, which we know is a breaking of the first commandment of the Ten Commandments. And so you have this defilement entering the camp, and uh, specifically there's this story where I think it's, uh, oh man, I was going to say his name, off. try to say his name off the top of my head, but I forgot it. Phinehas, I probably butchered that, but there is this, this man named Phinehas, uh, son of Eleazar. So he is uh, in this uh, 
line of the Levites, and he sees a man bringing a Moabite woman into camp, and he knows that there is something wrong here. Like, this is not supposed to be happening. And his zeal for God and his commitment to God and his commitment on behalf of Israel to God was so strong that he actually goes and puts an end to both this man and the woman. And as a result of that, God says, your zeal for me is great, and I'm going to honor that with an everlasting covenant of life and peace. And so I I guess that was a long way, a semi-long way to try to help give context for in this passage of what it means to be identified as a priest, what it means to be identified as a, a, a Levite, and what now that might, like being able to read that back into where we are today and what that might mean for us. And so I just thought it would be good for us to understand all of the background, or at least a part of the background associated with um, these warnings that God through Malachi is issuing to the priests. So to your point that the Levites were to be the firstborn and by extension, therefore represent the kingdom of heaven. Um, This to me parallels really strongly with Paul's messages in the new Testament when he talks in his letters about us being ambassadors Mm -hmm. for Christ. And so as you were saying that, as you were sharing that information, I feel like this is really exactly what we're called to be as Christians. Um, and so we really are, we step into this role of the priest, I think in this regard as well. Like we are, when we, when we claim the title Christian, there's a lot of responsibility that comes with that. And so now as we live our lives out daily, um, we really are, we are representative of the kingdom of heaven. We're representatives of what God would say in any situation. And, and we are in essence, Christ living out, we are his body. And so that, that doesn't just come into play on Sundays, but this goes with us throughout the week. And so every word we say, every interaction we, we have, um, every activity that we engage in, in those moments, we are Christ's representatives. We are God's representatives. And so I think there's a, there's a huge weight that the priests must have carried uh, with this responsibility that it seems like they've neglected. And mm-hmm. I feel like as we consider this weight that we also carry as Christians, I think it's it, it wouldn't be uh, incorrect to say that I think we miss this a lot and we, we forget about the weight of, of that responsibility that we are representative of God and we are representing representing our heavenly family. You know, as you're saying that, I think back to a an encounter that I had this last week where I think I became acutely aware of this reality. Um, and if I'm honest, like you already said, you know, you don't think that we necessarily always think about it that way. I, I think if I'm honest, I, I think I very rarely think about it that way. Um, but this moment last week was not one of those moments where I wasn't thinking about it. And, and so a friend of mine came to me and said that they or said, you know, I have a weird question for you. And they asked the question, 
And before I even responded, I recognized immediately that as menial and as silly as the conversation on the surface seemed to be, my response felt heavy because I recognized the responsibility that I bore in that response. And I know, I, I think I had become acutely aware of it because I remember that we had been having a conversation about this and I had read this passage a couple of times before going into, this was on Friday, so before going to gymnastics. And um, the, the specific statement of, um, because he is the messenger of the Lord Almighty and people seek instruction from his mouth, that's verse 7 of chapter 2, that had stuck out to me for some reason. And so this person coming to me to ask this question it was like scripture was coming alive. And I was seeing right before my eyes people seeking instruction from my mouth. And in that moment, I knew this wasn't my, like, I was representing God. Whether this other individual knew it or not, like, my response was to be a representation of the kingdom. And so I needed to make sure that I was listening very carefully to what Jesus was saying to me. And I needed to make sure that I was not saying anything more than what Jesus was saying. And that is, that's hard. That is very difficult. Um, because I can say in this moment, I answered and I answered in a way that I felt like was what Jesus would want to say. And then I felt like I wanted to say more. And I realized that's me that wants to say more. And I need to stop. And so I'm not going to say anything. And it felt a little awkward because I didn't like have little fillers in the conversation. But I realized, no, that's what I needed to do. Like that's where it was at. And so, I mean, I guess that story just to say like it, it is we do we represent God in in our actions in our words in the way we conduct ourselves and I think that I have done a very poor job at recognizing just how much that is the case but that's the case in full like there's nothing that I do that shouldn't be representative of my father in heaven. But I'm definitely not conscious of that on a daily basis like I should be. I think that goes along with what we talk about quite often. We're living horizontally, knowing and being aware of what is going on around you and knowing and being aware of what the connection with, with Christ and what he would have you to do. I, I think it's really, really easy um, to go throughout your day in meetings and in passing of people and just do the normal thing, just, you know, small talk, just right. get things done, just do what you got to do and not give any thought to what Christ may want to happen at that moment. And the fact that you 
even could acknowledge that is a huge deal because I don't know that I very often have that mentality of what, what I'm about to say is, is that going to represent Christ or not? Is mm-hmm. that going to represent, is it, is that a true representation of what Jesus Christ is like in my life? And that's, that's scary, but it's, I mean, I think it's very clear that that's also what's going on with the Levites yeah. in Malachi here. Yeah. I, I think it would be easy to, to hear what we're talking about and get discouraged and like be really down on ourselves. Um, but I think we can find uh encouragement in the reality that like this isn't just our struggle this is a struggle that has existed for literally centuries um it doesn't excuse the struggle right like we can't just be like oh well everybody struggles with it so it's not a big deal like i don't need to i I can just continue to struggle like christ came to give us victory over that struggle for sure and has called us into this life of faithful living just like malachi is calling them into a life of faithful living um, but it, it's like this, this both and thing, like we can recognize that in our struggles, others struggle as well. And so like, okay, instead of get it feeling defeated, others are here too. Now, how do we move forward with this? Well, and then I think going back to this description that you gave at the beginning, Nick, where we talked about, you know, what this meant for, like contextually what was going on at the time. Um, the second part that you talked about was how the the zeal that people have, and specifically you mentioned how the, the Israelites have become enamored by this other, well, just in, in their instance, it was the Moabite women, right? These other people who had their focus on other things, definitely not looking to serve God. And, and as they loved them, as they welcomed them in, they allowed the outside influence of the Moabite women to be greater than the Israelite influence, the Levite influence that should have been there, this Christian influence that we should have where we're influencing outwards and not allowing ourselves to be influenced so heavily by the world I can think of several instances where, you know, we, we often go to one another seeking advice. Um, and I think this is a good thing. I think, I think God gave us the church for wrestling and struggling together through these things. And of course he wants to stay in the conversation, right? He didn't give us the church so that way we can go to all of our Christian friends and wrestle with this problem independent of him, but rather with him. And I think all too often we go and wrestle with our Christian friends or just our friends in general, and we fail to bring God through his spirit into this conversation or into this wrestling. And it ends up resulting in action or decision or things that really don't include him or reflect him. Right. Because we've allowed these other influences um, to come in and supersede what his will is. And we've forgotten him. We've forgotten the way we've lost our way very much like what Malachi is addressing here um, with the priests. Hmm. I mean, I, I think 
as you're saying that the the thought that came to my mind is um as a as a church so from a like a, a polity standpoint as a church we have become so informed by the way we do things by the rest of the world like our our governance our processes are more informed by the way public officials are elected are more informed by the way a fortune 500 company is run than the examples that scripture sets forth and we have begun to almost uh not almost we have not just begun either we we have blurred the lines we have blurred the lines between what is clearly like godly and and kingdom of heaven with what is clearly worldly and kingdom of the world and there is now this seeping and crossover that exists and unfortunately i i feel like as leaders we have become so influenced by and and indoctrinated with over long periods of time this outside influence that we are we actually believe that this is a godly influence like that god is the one who prescribed this method of like methodology of leadership god is the one who prescribed this uh way of of um administering and it's not like it's just it's just not and and i want to like i'm not i'm not trying to say that because i want to dismiss necessarily anything but i am saying that because i think we need to stop and we need to begin to ask questions and we need to invite jesus back into the conversation like we've got to stop doing things just because it's the way we do things, we've got to stop doing things because that's the way the book outlines it. We've got to stop doing things because tradition says so. And we have got to start only doing things because this is where Jesus is taking us. Like it, it's a problem. If, if we find ourselves in the exact same place that the, the hearers of Malachi found themselves in, that the priests of Malachi found themselves in, like, they, you know, they don't think anything is wrong with what they're doing. You know that they have become so influenced by everything around them that they think that what they are doing is right. They are so committed to the reality that this is right, that they're going to keep going in this direction. Like they, they don't even think they need to ask the question because they are resolved to this being right. Like it, it, Let's not get confused here. They don't think they're doing something wrong and they're trying to get away with murder. Like they think they're doing it right. And that's why the prophet Malachi has to come and say something. And I, I fear that we as a church have gotten to the place where we think we are doing it right. So much so, and we are so committed to our way of right that we are not willing to stop and ask the question and hear the Malachi's of our day call us back into 
this faithfulness to Christ rather than faithfulness to this institution. And we need to be very careful. Like we, we have got to, I, I think you said it perfectly, Natasha, we have got to put Jesus back in this conversation. We have got to put Jesus back in our, our ways of leading. We have got to put Jesus back into our processes because from the outside looking in, we've done everything we can to actually eliminate him from the conversation rather than bring him into it. I mean, we have this perfunctory like prayer where we say, oh, Jesus is part of it. But is he really? So I'm reading in Malachi and this, you know, the second chapter, and it's talking about, you know, the, the covenant with the Levites and it was to bring life and peace. And that is what he gave mm-hmm. them, it says. And it required reverence from them. And they re- revered him and stood in awe of his name. They passed it on to the people, the truth of the instruction they received from me. And I think that's where we're going wrong. We are getting, we aren't, we aren't seeking that instruction. We're getting our instruction from people. Um, We're getting instructions from tradition. We're getting instruction from, you know, your grandma, your, your uncle, your pastor. And not that some of those are not wrong, but. I would rather know what Jesus wants me to do. Mm-hmm. I would rather know what Jesus says is right than what my parents think is right or what my pastor think is right. Um, I, my version of, the, of this last verse in verse 9 is a little bit different um, than what you read, Nick, and I think it's very important because I think it holds... This, I think it opens up this idea that we are doing things, and I think sometimes unintentionally, but let me read it. Um, So verse nine says, so I've made you despised and humiliated in the eyes of all the people, for you have not obeyed me, but have shown favoritism in the way you carry out my instructions. And I think we need to, number one, not only go to him for instruction, and to have that that vertical relationship to be able to hear what he's saying and see what he wants you to do but also have th- your mindset to do what he has called to called you to do mm-hmm. and not have that that favoritism to well this is what my past says this is what has happened to me in the past and this is what so and so has told me is right or so you know whoever has told me this is the way I'm supposed to do it. But listen to what he has called you to do and what he is asking you to do and to not show favoritism and just carry out his instructions. Something that you said um, really got my attention and I, I don't know. Let's see where it goes. The covenant with Levi was, um, so verse five, my covenant was with him a covenant of life and peace, and I gave them to him. This called for reverence, and he revered me and stood in awe of my name. I, I, see, I see two things happening here. I see what God has given to them and through them to others and what God requires in return or expects in return. The role of the Levites towards God 
is reverence and awe. The role of the Levites in the world is to be extenders of life and peace. I think all too often, you know, if I read this forward, remember, like we are the Levites, we are the priests. We see ourselves as defenders of the faith, a more militant understanding than as dealers of life and peace. And peace that we're talking about here is not like the absence of conflict. It's the pre- it is the presence of fullness. It is the, the it is like shalom. It, it is everything reaching its fullest potential and, and working to its greatest good. Like this is what we are called to be as his priests. We are called to be these conduits of life and peace. And the way we become conduits of life and peace is when we orient our lives so much so around him and revering him and focusing on him that he then works in us and through us. I think, unfortunately, what we see today, though, is rather than being conduits of life and peace, we we have appointed ourselves as like the guards of virtue. And rather than giving life or, or giving peace to others, unfortunately, death is on our lips. Destruction is present. And Malachi was speaking this to them then, and I think Malachi is speaking to us now. We've got to set aside what we think is right. And that might that sounds crazy for me to say that. But we have got to set aside what we think is right, and we have got to go headlong into Jesus and and headlong into this awe of him and be so focused on him that the rest of it just kind of fades away. Like we, we can't be like overly focused on, okay, this is what I'm going to do. Like we, we've got to focus on Jesus and then through our focusing on Jesus, that stuff results. Unfortunately, I think we're too fixated on this law. We're, we're yeah. fixated on the law and obeying his law and obeying his instruction. And he like, he's absent from it. We've, we've gotten the instructions and we're like, okay, we're going to run with it. Mm-hmm. And we forget him in the whole process. Mm-hmm. And I fear that's exactly what we've done. Like we, we have received the law. It, we have this incredible gift from God called scripture. And we've received this. And instead of walking with him through it and with it, I feel like we've received it and we've taken off. And we have now gotten ourselves into the same place. Again, here it goes. We've gotten ourselves into the same place that the the priests of Israel got themselves into. We know where they got themselves, right? Like in, in 400 years, we get to the New Testament and we see what these people became 
in the Pharisees and the Sadducees. All law, void of reverence and awe for God. Void of that relationship that walks side by side with him. I'm afraid that's where we are today. I think when you were talking about um, that we have we have scripture and, you know, I'm just going to make a plug for what we do because I, <laughs> I have the past two years, I've learned more about the Bible than I did my entire, you know, Christian life up to up until then. When we go through the Bible and we go with not without our preconceived notions, with our reading it like we've never read it before. And asking God, what is it you want to tell me? Mm-hmm. I think I think for far too long, I allowed somebody else to tell me what it says. And, you know, as a young Christian, as, um, as somebody who really didn't understand how to study the Bible, I mean, I just assumed that's how, how it was. Like a pastor just told me how to interpret different scriptures and I just listened to it. Um, I learned the hard way um, that that um, can, what does it say? Corrupt the covenant I made with the Levites. Mm. And listening to what somebody else, somebody else's interpretation and not in this, not saying that, maybe, that they weren't, you know, well-intended. Um, but I think us sitting down and inviting Jesus to be with us as we go through scripture, I think is something that sounds so simple, but makes the biggest difference. Yeah. I think that as we sit with Jesus and meditate on his word, we get the, we get to experience the fullness of what he intends in relationship. It doesn't feel mechanical. It doesn't feel like you're trying to check something off a list Uh, like done my devotions today, you know, you're really sitting down and you're having a meeting with the God of creation. And, you know, the incredible thing about those experiences is when you then bring those moments, those private moments with him into community with, with his body, with the church, um, the conversation that flows out of that in his presence is just incredible and it's life-giving and there's space there to, to bring questions. Like you can share, Hey, Jesus spoke this to me through his spirit and I I'm wrestling with this and I want to know, you know, where, where you guys are. And it's amazing to see how Jesus is often working in the same way on others' hearts and so they have yeah. a, a, an experience similar to share. And so you just, you get to have this moment of, of fellowship with one another and, and fellowship with him all at the same time. And it, I think this is what Jesus intended for the church, this, this corporate enjoyment of his knowledge and, and his company is, is what he desires for us. And that's what gives life and that's what gives peace. And that's mm-hmm. the fulfillment of this covenant. As you journey with us, we recommend purchasing Midweek Meditations, A Journey Through Haggai and Malachi, which is available for purchase on Amazon. Also, be sure to follow the Living Bird Podcast 
to stay current on all our new releases. To learn more about The Church at Riverstone, visit us at thechurchatriverstone.org.